Hello friends, this is the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. The goal of the AlphaList podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. Tired of stifting through countless resumes and struggling to find the right tech talent? Look no further. WorkGenius has some exciting news to share with you. WorkGenius has acquired ExpertLead. Now, they bring even more efficiency to your hiring process. Real-time live coding assessments for all. Whether you're a startup or an established enterprise, WorkGenius is now also here to turbocharge your hiring process. Say goodbye to the guesswork and endless interviews. WorkGenius matches your candidates with experts, saving you time and getting you top talent. Win-win. How it works? Share your tech job applicants, WorkGenius takes care of the rest. Your candidates, they are in the hands of seasoned pros. WorkGenius matches them with experienced senior developers and puts them through tailored, enjoyable and fair technical interviews. Your company gets the cream of the crop, the most sought after talents in the industry. And you save your hardworking tech and HR teams valuable time. If you want to try it out, visit link.alphalist.com slash work. Welcome to the Alphalist podcast. I am your host, Toby, and today... I have a special topic, which um, unfortunately um, is a topic these days. Uh, it's downsizing, company downsizing, layoffs, etc., etc., etc. So not a very great topic, um, but um, an, an obvious topic for many to, 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 to be busy with these days. Um, and on the podcast today, I have Mike Fisher. And Mike Fisher used to be the CTO of Etsy. Um, Mike, you do so many things. Maybe you quickly take the time and introduce yourself. Yeah, Toby, thanks for having me today. And yeah, it's, it is an unfortunate topic that we're going to talk about, but a reality for our world and uh, something we should just address head on. So looking forward to the discussion. So my background, I um, yeah, I was a West Point graduate. I served seven years active um, duty in as an aviation officer. So flying helicopters and leading leading uh, troops that that do that type of work. And then uh, I really wanted to get back into technology. So I, I left the military and started as a software engineer um, at General Electric. I did that for a number of years and got, I, I say, reluctantly convinced to go in, back into management. And uh, I, I you know, really, I just love the tech and always wanted to do that. But I also love the challenge of leading people. And so I became an uh, engineering manager um, and then eventually made my way out to the Bay Area um, with PayPal in some of the early days as the VP of Eng there. And then um, moved uh, all the way back across the US to New York for a startup um, called Quigo that did ad tech, uh, was the CTO there. And when that was acquired, um, I started a consulting company with some friends and we focused on 
uh, helping companies scale. So we met with lots and lots of startups that were going through the hyper scale phase, which was really fun work. And, um, and some of the big, big scale problems, you know, that, that companies have with, um, with, you know, millions and millions of users. So all that was really fun. And one of the wonderful companies that I met during that time was Etsy. And I met them when they were very young and growing, you know, um, in the hyper phase. And I, I kind of, you know, kept, kept in touch with them throughout the years. I came back and did some consulting um, when they stood up their payment stack and then eventually in 2017, when they had some leadership transition, they brought me back in and asked me if I would stay. And um, I, I said, you know, yes, Etsy is, you know, a, a company I respected. I love the mission. I love that they support creative entrepreneurs and, um, and said yes. And uh, that was in 2017. I ended up spending almost six years there, about five and a half, and just stepped down in January uh, to spend some time with uh, with my son before he headed off to university, and um, all great things. Um, you know, just had a wonderful time. But you know, one of the things we'll probably get into is I stepped into Etsy that leadership role right after two rounds of layoffs. Okay, and so I can you know, some firsthand uh, experience with the, with the challenges uh, of recovering from that. So looking forward to the conversation. But yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. Um, and uh, at the end, uh, I actually have like a little surprise. I actually bought something from Etsy for this for this podcast, and uh, <laughs> happy to awesome. have that as a last question. Touch that at, in the last question. Um, uh, so you basically like my my first question is typically your nerd journey, which you almost outlined already. But uh, I mean, you didn't tell us why you actually went from the army to to software engineering. Um, like, why don't you? I don't know, fly helicopters these days. Why, why, why are you into, <laughs> into tech yeah. and engineering? So, you know, I, I, um, my sort of nerd journey started in high school. Um, I'm old enough that we really didn't have formal classes. Um, we had a computer club, uh, which I was part of. And we had these um, very, you know, you know, today standards so antiquated. They were the TRS um, 80s computers that came installed with BASIC. And so as part of the club, we taught ourselves how to program in BASIC. And of course, as most you know, kids try to do, I, I programmed, I tried to emulate all the um, arcade games and program games you know, that, I, that I would love to play in the arcade. And that's what sort of fell in love. And I always think about you know, the first time you put a pixel on the screen or have it move or do something, and you're just amazed that like my, my lines of code did that. And I was hooked at that point. And um, I really, I knew I wanted to be an engineer, but I wasn't sure what type of engineer when I went to, um, you know, to West Point. And I didn't even think of computer science. I thought of, you know, the, the more standard electrical, you know, aeronautical. And then um, we were the first class at West Point to receive computers, personal computers. Before that, it was all work in labs. And um, that forced everybody to take a programming class. Um, and I realized that, oh yeah, this is something I could study and and do professionally. So um, I, that's what convinced me immediately that, you know, first semester become a computer science major. I loved it. It was, you know, it was that type of work that I would want to do everything else just so I could get to my program assignments. Um, and I liked it so much that even in the military, when I was active duty, I went back and did grad school just so I could continue to program. And um, so I, I always had this super passion for, for programming, even though, as I mentioned, I went into management, I've continued to program um, with side projects and, and things. And I, I do that still today. It's, um, it's just been something that's super passionate of, you know, passion of mine. As much as I did love flying and I love the mission in the military, 
um, ultimately, you know, wanting to program and be around tech went out. And um, yeah, I, I've loved yeah. it. It's been a great career. Okay, okay. then I'm, I'm glad that you made the jump. <laughs> so um, can you maybe share a bit more of your experience at Etsy um, and the time you, you you did layoffs and why and, and how it, it kind of influenced your 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 day to day in your life? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I it was not I I joined right after the the two rounds of layoffs in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually they had brought me back in as a consultant during those those final days right before they they executed that. Um, but I joined shortly after that, and I felt all of the ramifications of that. And yeah, you know, I think there was a number of them. From there was you know a huge emotional um, you know challenge that the team had who, who were left behind to pick it up. So you've got, you know, this was a very, as most companies are very close knit. a lot of people had really bonded and formed, you know, great friendships and to have some of their friends um, have to leave was really, really tough. So I think the emotional side of this was, was really tough. The other side is of course, now people have to pick up the work and pick up the work in terms of, not having easy transitions, you know, normally if there's, if it's, you know, someone's departing, it's a, you can have longer transitions. This was a much faster transition. So people were really trying to pick up the work and doing right, the work right. of. In the US, you basically are immediately out normally, right? Um, that's right. That's exactly right. So there was, there wasn't a real, you know, period in which they could transition. So the, the knowledge transfer was tough as well. And yeah, I just remember people, literally going around looking through desks, trying to find, you know, I remember one case of like, where were all the contracts that someone had been managing? And like, you know, that type of stuff, when you, when you sort of usher people out of the building, it's just kind of, you know, left a bit in chaos. And, you know, to the credit of the people that were left behind, they, they, you know, they, they did that and, and picked up the pieces and were able to, to get it going. But, you know, the work was one, the emotional was one, You know, and then the the probably the third piece we could talk more about any of these. The third piece was, then other people left, so you get the round of layoffs done, and you know you, you you're at a you know whatever number that the company wanted to be at, and then you start having to deal with super high attrition, which we mm -hmm. did, mm -hmm. um, and you know because people are very worried about that or they're upset. And, mm. you know, all those are reasons that people look to leave. Um, so that mm. the attrition rate was also something that we had to face um, every day for months afterwards. Mm. Mm. Especially in areas where you easily find a new job, right? Like engineering. Um, I mean, even back then, it was already the time when the golden times, right? Um, then you, that's right. you, you yeah, think they, twice if you want to stay with such a company. That's right. There's almost, you know, at least in the U.S. and all, you know, almost worldwide, there's almost you know zero unemployment for engineers. Mm -hmm. um, even the last rounds that we saw, you know, this this past year, I think people were you know landed very very quickly into other roles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as other companies, we could talk about how they saw opportunities in that. When companies, you know, like Twitter laid off a bunch of people, and Meta saw an opportunity to grab a bunch of engineers um, and stand up threads that. Yeah, that's it's really tough to keep people in an environment like that when they they know they can go other places. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I guess then you also had to face lots of technical debt in terms of uh, I don't know how diverse the Etsy stack is. You, you can tell us a bit more about the stack, but most most likely you 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 had like various open ends, right? Oh, Tech absolutely. 
Yeah, I told you know, a little little anecdote about people looking for contracts and desks, but of course the the technical knowledge walks out the door as well, yeah. um, and that's super challenging. Um, you know, one of the things that probably benefited us is Etsy is generally a monolith um, for the primary oh, marketplace, <laughs> right? Which actually helped in this case. Um, there's some benefits to um, as many challenges as there are in scaling a mm-hmm. monolith. Mm-hmm. There's also some benefits in terms of knowledge that people have mm-hmm. um, and not having to learn you know, a, a brand new stack in a different service. We do have major chunks of the, of, of the marketplace split out into services. So you know, the, the, it's not a true monolith in that you know, we've got a separate stack for search, a se- separate stack for payments and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the marketplace is a monolith. Um, and so we were able to benefit from that. Um, but even that, there's, of course, specialty knowledge that's that just walks out the door. Uh, out of curiosity, what's what's the tech stack of Etsy? Yeah, yeah. so we're a PHP shop PHP. Um, okay. and have been yeah, for, for many, many years. And um, that's, you know, it's, uh, we have learned how to scale that very, very effectively, um, yeah. Yeah. as you would imagine. Can you imagine, know, with, yeah. With you know, 100 million items, And you know, and, and millions and millions of, of buyers that, um, and the site performs. You know, it's, it's very performant um, and highly available, which the team just has done a wonderful job and, and learned how to do that over the years. So, and I guess that was today. still like still all bare metal, etc. Or, so that was one of the challenges. Um, we were in data centers, bare metal. Um, we managed all of that ourselves, and one of the things that I looked at. Given you know that I, I I landed right after the layoffs and fewer people was how do we how could we spend less of our engineering effort on managing that infrastructure and so one of the major initiatives that we kicked off that summer um, you know a couple of months after the layoffs was the migration to the cloud wow and that began um, you know we did a couple months of you know the RFPs and um, the assessments of different cloud providers ultimately chose Google in December of that year of 2017 and began January 2018 the migration um, we you know I thought we had planned on taking a year for the main marketplace to migrate that was going to be the first really large piece of functionality and that you know this is again just a You know, kudos to the resilience and the you know the amazing engineering talent at Etsy. That even after the layoffs, after losing a bunch of you know of people through attrition, starting in January, we thought it was going to take a year. They came back to me after a couple of months and said we could do it by August, and that was a really big deal because if we could do it by August, we didn't have to buy a bunch of other bare metal to stand up in the data centers to get us through the holiday season that year, which I thought we were going to. And so the team did this, you know, really incredible push and launched us on GCP in August of 2018. It saved us millions of dollars in hardware costs. And um, and you know, they they never looked back. So, you know, it, it just shows that they could do some great things um, you know, when yeah, you know, even even through all that adversity. Mm-hmm. So you you moved to Kubernetes straight away then or? So we did. So I mentioned there's a split between um, you know the marketplace, which is the PHP stack, and our search stack, and we we migrated two different ways, which you know is an interesting sort of comparison. The Etsy marketplace PHP stack we lifted and shifted, so we lifted it and put it straight onto VMs. 
<laughs> and we did that really because we didn't want to have to learn how to productionize and run the marketplace in containers. And we thought that that was a lot of debate about it, but ultimately that's, that was the decision. And so we lifted and shifted the marketplace, but the search stack we did differently. We actually migrated that to Kubernetes first, and then we migrated to the cloud onto GKE. And you know, it, it allowed us to do, to sort of you know, compare. I would say at a very high level, the big difference was that we, it took us probably a good year to learn how to really operate search in containers. Mm. There's a lot of complexities to that. Mm-hmm. And to manage that well, and the you know the the major metric there is availability, mm-hmm. and you know we monitor availability monthly and report on it and so forth. And you could see from that metric that we we had to learn quite a bit um, compared to the you know the the Etsy marketplace, which we knew how to run on VMs, um, and so that was very that was an easy transition. The difference though was that. As you would expect, the search was completely cloud native, so it could immediately take advantage of all the things like auto scaling and so forth, and that was you know a, a huge benefit. Whereas we had a lot of work to do on the marketplace to be able to take advantage of the cloud of the benefits in the cloud, mm. and so that's the real trade offs. I don't think there's a right or wrong. Like most tech things, there's not a right or wrong answer, but in this case, there's just pros and cons, and mm. so there was this you know the the pros of you know, of lifting and shifting is you know how to operate that. The cons are you're not very cloud native and you've got yeah. a lot, you can't take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine like, um, but it, but it's also good to do uh, one by one, right? To first go with search or one one piece and then really move that over and really learn how to operate it. Also back then, Kubernetes was still quite young. So uh, I, I think it's quite quite an adventure then. And I can imagine that actually for the team that was left, I don't know how, How was actually how how big was the the, the shrink and the dev team like how how many people did you did you uh, did leave and and how big was the team then afterwards? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think they laid off um, you know probably close to uh, you know twenty twenty some percent of the engineers. We were down to about three hundred fifty engineers at that okay. time. I think okay. that was the lowest mark that we hit. Um, you know, and that was even through some of the attrition and mm-hmm. you know. I do, you know, we talked about like the emotional part of it. I actually think a major project like that helped reinvigorate and get yeah, the team over. I that's mean, what I mean. You have a new mission, yeah. right? Like a totally new exactly. thing. Like the old team was not, um, or the, the old people were not involved at all. There's no legacy. You have a, right. yeah, like a greenfield, right? Yeah. Um, and, and It is. I, I think it, you know, engineers, engineers love to ship. Mm. They love to ship code, push, you know, and get stuff done. And I think, giving them a big project that was exciting, you know, we had to learn, all of us had to learn about GCP. And so yeah. all their services and how to manage them and, you know, and, and, and that. So you're, you're getting your engineers distracted by, you know, by new technology that they've got to learn. You're giving them a big audacious goal of this, you know, this interesting project. I think all of that helped in the healing part. Yeah. 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 I can imagine Uh, and was there a moment, uh, like you recently wrote a, a blog article in your Substack on, on on downsizing. That's why we also picked up the topic. Um, did you have like a, um, an aha moment? Um, like you have a very, um, uh, let's say, straight opinion on downsizing that it's not good and that it doesn't make sense in most cases. 
Um, what was your aha moment? Yeah, you know, I think um, watching that, and I also should say that, you know, I, I mentioned that I started my career at General Electric um, in the sort of late 90s, the very end of the Jack Welch era. And they did layoffs, you know, almost on a, you know, a yearly sort of basis. And so I saw that early in my career. And then, of course, stepping into Etsy right after their layoffs, I saw this that, you know, I realized that it is incredibly disruptive, even to the engineers that are left behind. And it takes, you know, it took us, I really want to say, a solid nine months to get through that emotionally and get us back to the level of sort of engineering that we were before with the remaining engineers. And, you know, I've see, even seen this not through layoffs, but through we, we track what the impact is to team changes. And, you know, it's kind of another little anecdote in our, in our very you know, small study. What we saw was that if you take a fully formed squad and you give them a new initiative, a new mission that they're, you know, goal that they're working on, they need to reset about six weeks so it takes them, if they're working at a certain velocity, whether you measure that through whatever, we could talk about the challenges of measuring that uh, productivity, but it, you know, it's some velocity. It takes you six weeks to get back to that if you just give them a new mission. And the reason, you know, you, you think through that of like, well, yeah, they've got to realign their goals. They got to, you know, do a new discovery part. Like there's so much that they've got to reset. But if you actually change the team makeup, if you pull a couple of engineers out, you rotate people in, you actually lose about 12 weeks. From, from what we saw. And so if you think about like, you know, a reduction in force or layoff or something, you're losing an awful lot of time. You know, I would argue it's well past even the 12 weeks. It's probably closer to, you know, 24 weeks or, or, or close to six months worth of, you're going to be working your way back into that. So it's a lot of lost productivity. So I watched that happen, you know, at Etsy and of course at GE and other places. And I realized that, If your goal is, of, you know, of course, if the company needs to cut expenses because they've got to get to a point where they can survive, they're either you know not profitable or they you know don't want to have to raise another round of funding or something like that, then they've got to do what they've got to do. And so, you know, I don't begrudge them that. But you can't expect to cut these individuals and cut the cost and simultaneously grow. That is a, you know, I just don't see that as, as a possibility. You have to expect you're going to have a, a certain period in which you're going to have a huge reset, in part because people have to figure out, again, they have to pick up other people's jobs. They're emotionally you know, um, you know, struggling with this, you know, that they've seen their friends. So, And you have just fewer people. And so that was the real point of that blog post is you cannot expect to cut cost and grow. It's just really not going to happen. So if you're focused on growth, which a lot of companies are and should be, then you know, trying to cut costs simultaneously is, is kind of a losing proposition. This podcast is proudly presented by Storyblock, the CMS used by almost 200,000 developers and marketers in over 130 countries. Reducing complexities and inefficiencies across your digital infrastructure is a top priority for CTOs in 2023. Does your current CMS hinder agile development and deployment? 
Storyblock is a cloud-native API-first CMS that minimizes technical dependencies, enable your development team to create frontends with whatever technology they already know, and your business users to create content only once and publish on multiple platforms. As a CTO, choosing Storyblock means optimizing your tech stack's operational efficiency while making your team more self-sufficient. There are numbers to back this up. Storyblock cuts down development time by 50% and provides 582% ROI over three years, a study by Forrester proves. Visit link.alphalist.com CMS to get a free demo of Storyblock and learn how it can improve your speed to market. In my opinion. But doesn't it like absolutely depend on the on the amount of people you you cut? Like if you cut, let's say, thirty percent, then this absolutely applies, I would say. But what if you cut like ten percent, and or you cut strategically in areas which are, were never profitable? Let's say you did internationalization and it just didn't work out, and and then you just decide, okay, we stop internationalization. Then obviously you influence the other people as well. Uh, if you, if you let go, let's say your your internationalization team. Uh, your your German team, for example, if you're from the US, um, but you think it it, it still um, influences the, the the orc in total? I do. I think you know there's there's a culture, there's friendships, there's a lot. Even if it's an isolated team, mm -hmm. um, I think there's impact there, and I think you should expect that. So even if it's a, a you know like you said, it's an initiative that didn't work out, I think stopping that and pivoting people. You know, and I think this goes into people, I, I, you know, my sort of opinion about employees and, and people is like, they want to give their, you know, their all and, you know, really believe and buy into the company and, and give that. But they also want the company to do that back to them. And I think, you know, you see these stories of people where when the company has treated them really well and fairly, then people want to be there for the company and and give the extra Um mm -hmm. And if the company's quick to, you know, sort of let people go uh, because something didn't work out and is not willing to, you know, retrain or um, or move them to a new initiative or try something else, then I think that impacts not only the people that obviously let go, I think it impacts the whole, everybody in the company. They see that and they, they watch how the company treats employees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can imagine. Um, if I am now a CTO of a, like a growth oriented company and uh, like in the leadership meeting like we discussed that it's not going on so well not going so well and we have to reduce in people like we it's our only chance what would be your advice for me like if i'm an engineering leader if you really have to i think you need to set the expectations about how long it's going to take to recover mm -hmm. both from a, a you know an emotional as well as a productivity I think that would be, you know, one of the things. And then I think, of course, you know, it's important how you treat people. Um, I think one of the other things that I'm a, a pretty big believer in is being as open and honest with the team as possible. I think that really carries a lot of weight. And if you, the more you do behind closed doors and in secrecy, and you don't explain why you did this to the company, the worse it is. So if you've got to do this, my advice would be prepare, you know, for a, a huge hit to productivity for quite a while afterwards, 
and also prepare to be as open and transparent as possible about the rationale of why you did it, why this was necessary to keep the company going or whatever, um, whatever your rationale is, because people will appreciate it and it helps them emotionally, you know, you know sort of understand this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the most popular downsizing example in the recent, uh, let's say, two years is, is, is Twitter or or X, as some people might refer to it now. Um, what is your view on that? I mean, they they let go uh, almost half of the people, and their their revenue also dropped by fifty percent or something. You think yeah. it's directly linked, or? Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, um, if it's not directly, it's a, there's a strong correlation there. Um, I think you know what we've seen you know, from some of the articles is lower availability. You know, and you know one of my sort of adages is that you know availability is your most important feature. And what I mean by that is that you know you you spend a lot of your engineering effort on building new features which is great because we need to you know build new stuff and, and keep up with demand and you know and and provide for our you know our, our our buyers and you know consumers but your your new feature is never going to make as much money for the company as just keeping the site available and this is why it's you know the availability and all the you know um, the infrastructure and SRE and DevOps personnel are, are really important. So I think, you know, if you look at just availability hit that they took from letting go of some of the teams, um, you know, that's certainly part of the reason. Um, you know, I also think advertisers, you know, which is Twitter's main revenue source, look at how they treated people. And brands know that, as I was talking about, Employees care how you treat other employees, even if they have to be let go, even if they have, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's performance or just cost cutting, people, employees look at that and care. And I think other brands care. And so when you when you do something publicly and you don't treat people very well on the way out, I think it really hurts. So not only is it an impact on the engineering team, as I mentioned, loss in productivity, probably loss uh, in availability. And not a huge loss in knowledge. We'll get to that in one second. But it's also a reputation risk if you don't do it well. And I think that was a huge hit for them. Mm. The knowledge piece I, I mentioned sort of in the you know, beginning of this of our session that you know a company like Twitter that let go of thousands of engineers, other companies were able to grab them up like Meta um, and you know and, and build a you know a competing product with Threads. And, you know, I don't know if Threads is going to be successful, but like you open up the door for challenges like that when you do really, really large rounds of layoffs, other companies see this as opportunities. And I, I think that's what happened here. So for many, many reasons, I think that was very harmful for Twitter. Now, we'll see if they can recover. Um, you know, um, you know I, I hope for everybody left there and, you know, that they, that they can. But um, I think all of these ramifications that we're seeing this year um, were caused by that. Yeah, mm, that's kind mm. of the core. Mm. Funny enough, stock prices often seem to rise after after layoff announcements because company is then like theoretically more, more profitable. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a long-term thing. You, you say. It's not a long-term. Yeah. I, I agree. I think you do see a lot of people, you know, stock price jumps. Um, but I think that's very short-term thinking. Unfortunately, a lot of the markets are driven with very short-term thinking. 
you know, we've, you know, in part, um, I've written about this before a little bit, that in part, it's because of our quarterly reporting. And so that focus, it really requires company CEOs and executives to think in very, very short term. That if you're not producing results this quarter, um, it's really hard. You've got to tell the story to the analyst you know, and to the market over and over about why you need to invest for a longer term um, and why it's best. That's a challenging position for, for executives, no doubt. So we've got, you know, I'm, I'm also a believer in systems drive people's behavior. And, you know, it's not that someone's, you know, really trying to be nefarious or not a great leader or whatever, but like we've got these systems in place, things like quarterly reporting that drive people's behaviors. Um, You know, we see these systems all the time that impact how people behave, how people perform, decisions they make. Um, And, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not the individuals, you know, it's really that we've got all these processes in place and systems that forced them into this. And um, it, it's unfortunate, but I think it's very, very short-term thinking. So that sounds as if you're like a big believer in OKRs and uh, in quarterly goal planning. <laughs> yeah, I, I do believe in goals, absolutely. Um, whether you use OKRs or you know some other framework, but I think you've got to plan on longer-term initiatives. I believe you know the way we sort of think about what I've talked about is a portfolio management. Mm. So just like you would portfolio manage your investments, um, I think you should be portfolio managing your projects. Mm. And some of your projects, you should expect to you know, have really, really quick hits and wins um, within the quarter, but you've also got to be placing these longer bets. Yeah. And if you're not, you are just optimizing. You know, I often use, um, Kent Beck has this framework he calls 3X, and you know it's the different phases that companies and/or products go through in the life cycle. And, you know, and the first is that exploration phase, where you're just exploring, you know, and trying to find product market fit. You're zero to one, whatever you know you want to call it. Once you find it, you start scaling up, um, and you know, and and really extracting the value and, and scaling. And that's that hyper growth phase, often in companies. And then eventually that levels off and that kind of S-curve becomes, you just kind of, you know, um, continue to gain gain value, but it's not as much high growth. And, you know, I think using that framework, um, you've got to think about what do I have in each of those phases from a product perspective? Um, and some of them are, again, going to be short-term. I'm just optimizing stuff. I'm, you know, I'm tweaking some, you know, final layouts and, you know, spacing and all of that really does matter. Um, but you've also got to be putting stuff in the buckets of exploring and trying to find new product market fits. Mm. So, you know, we can have OKRs, we can have short-term goals, but we also need to be thinking long-term as well. Okay. So that was just a little detour. You, you also mentioned in your blog post that um, R&D intensive industries suffer more from downsizing? Why, why is that? Well, I think because of that knowledge loss, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, as you grow a company, we we go from, you know, if you think about the small startup, a lot of people are generalist because you've everybody's, it's all hands on deck. Everybody's got to kind of do everything. But as you grow, you start to become specialized because you can afford to, it's more economic, um, it's beneficial you know, I, 
you know, I kind of use the example, like if you and I were the only two developers in a startup and our dev environments had a problem, we've got to fix them. Whether we're very good at that or not, we've got to, like, it's just got to get done. Mm -hmm. But if we were, you know, if we were two engineers in a, you know, a thousand person engineering org, we'd probably have somebody who specializes in this and mm -hmm. can help mm -hmm. us mm -hmm. because they know really what they're doing. You and I might struggle with that. They might know it in two minutes. Mm -hmm. So the specialization makes total sense. But the problem with that is when you start laying people off, you're not laying off generalists generally. You're starting mm -hmm. to lay off specialists because these are bigger orgs. And when you do that, you start losing that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then people have to step in, regain it. So that's why I think companies that are very heavily focused on R&D, really it impacts them much more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think um, one one mistake uh, looking at looking at the layoffs waves uh, is often that you could also start earlier to be a bit frugal, right, um, or a bit more frugal than you are. Um, is that maybe sometimes even an alternative to to, to layoffs? I don't know. Oh. Cloud costs not being optimized, a lot of SaaS tools flying around. Uh, like, do you have tips for that? Like, how to how to become more 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 of a bootstrapper and frugal? Yeah, hundred percent, and yeah. I do give credit to companies like Etsy, post twenty seventeen, um, who've really tried to do, you know, I would, I would think of as more sustained growth. It's not a growth at all cost, and I agree that you can, you know, being more frugal um, with that and being a little more conservative make a whole lot more sense. And you know, it's, yeah, you know, it, it's a case of if you do this and we're more thoughtful. Um, about this, but still with a growth mindset, then hopefully, you know, we know that the economy cycles, right? It's it's not a surprise. It's done it, you know, as long as we've measured it. And so going through some tough times should absolutely be expected. And so, again, instead of thinking about the short term of like, oh, I'm going to grow for this quarter because it's going to look great in my earnings report or whatever, thinking about this long term. Okay, I'm going to grow and that's going to be great for the company, but I also know that there's a downturn coming at some point. And so be prepared for that um, and grow you know, at, at the right pace. I think that is, again, an example of like companies that really have better long-term thinking don't have to, to go through this short-term up and down as, as hard as others. As heavy as others, right? Like if you look yeah, exactly. at like yeah. SaaS, for example, where they like people or oh, companies where, where like blown with people like hundreds of people even if they just had like a few millions in AR and then all of a sudden you had to hit the brake and yeah uh, and, and and it's I, I mean it's foreseeable right like um, it, it all kind of follows the the um, the cost of money right <laughs> that's what we see these days yes. right? that's, that's right um, yeah, yeah absolutely But do you have, like, if you act as CTO, do you do you have a do you, do you constantly look at your cloud cost, like as an example, uh, or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes, we have a. I mean, at Etsy, I'm sure lots of other companies, a um, FinOps team within engineering that that's uh, that's their 100 full time focus is mm -hmm. cloud cost mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're you know they're used uh, in a couple ways one as experts and so when a team wants to stand up a new service or you know explore a, you know using something 
they can go to that team and ask about the cost and how they could do it, how they can design something in a more cost-effective way. So that's a great use of them just to, you know, preempt any sort of spikes. And the other is just watching. You know, I know you've seen companies and heard stories about people who the cost just skyrocket out of control. They're not paying attention. And so this is a group of folks that can pay, you know, really, really good attention to the cost. And if they see something, they can, you know, they can get into that and find out which team um, owns that and stop it before it becomes a big problem. Um, and then, you know, the the final would be challenges. You know, they usually get challenges of like trying to cut cost um, a certain amount each year. And so, you know, if they're not guiding teams or, you know, or monitoring, they can also be working on thinking about strategies and whether that's, you know, some sort of data cleanup or optimizations or something like that. So absolutely teams need to be thinking about somebody's job needs to be looking at the cost of your cloud and monitoring that and be an expert in it. It really matters. And it's complicated, as you know, you know, the the invoices can get very complicated in trying to diagnose what the real cost is. So having someone that knows that is is very, very valuable. Mm, mm, mm. Um, okay, so uh, rather get that uh, earlier than later, I guess. Um, yes, yes. At, at which size would you say, like uh, engineering team-wise, uh, you, you would you would build a FinOps team? Is that before security or after? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's a great question. Obviously, security, especially nowadays, is is so so very important. Um, you know, when you know we're seeing more and more cyber attacks, and um, generative AI is just going to ramp that up even more. I was listening to a panel yesterday from some you know um, chief information security officers that were talking about that and the impact of AI on security. So it's a big deal. It always has been. It's going to be even more and more difficult to defend against this. So security is, you know, probably still very, very top, but FinOps and somebody focused on that is a close second. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, so very good insights. Um, I I told you about that um, crazy thing I bought for my outro question. Um, I I have it here in my hand, like people can't see it because we're not recording video. It's it's a crazy device that I bought on Etsy. It's uh, I, I just searched for time machine. I don't know if you can imagine what 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 it what it might do. Um, and and I tried it out. It's actually working. I I I'm a bit younger today than than <laughs> yesterday. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I want to try it out with you. Um, and I, I switch it on. Can can easily like enter your name um, and a year I, I want to travel to. Um, and and let's imagine we I, I type it in like near 1996 Mike Fisher um, and and you were back then like uh, just finished with the army and starting as engineering manager at GE um, and now you you we observe yourself for a while you're still like in helicopter mode etc <laughs> and <laughs> and you have the chance to now whisper something into young Mike Fisher's ears what would it be yeah. Um, I, well, I love the I love the time machine that you bought off of Etsy. Um, I could tell you some of my favorite purchases. Um, yeah, but if I were talking to myself back in 1996, I think the thing that I didn't do, yeah, I did not keep up with my network, and you know, even before that, with professors and colleagues, and I think that's really important. Um, I, I now say that tech is one degree of separation. So within one person, you almost know everybody in tech, um, especially when you sort of put it in metro areas. 
you know, um, New York City, super, super highly connected within tech. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's there's lots of other places around the world that are that way. And even, of, of course, across, um, there's, you know, kind of, um, there's, a, there's a lot of that connectivity. And I think it's really important because, you know, not only because the network provides you with opportunities, but it also provides you with information and knowledge. And one of the things that I've noticed when, you know, people go into companies that you often bring, you know, an outside perspective, but you lose that pretty quickly. Um, and you start only thinking about things the way the company does. And so you get very internalized in terms of, you know, this is how we do it here. And your network, what that can do is if you continue to leverage this, it can, it can give you a perspective from the outside. You can hear about what your friends are thinking. You know, things like this podcast you know, are great resources to keep up with people, listen to people, listen to your friends and what they're talking about. And I think that's really important is, you know, don't be so focused on yourself. And, you know, I know we all love the tech. That's why we're in here. But like lift up from the keyboard every once in a while, listen to a podcast, connect with a colleague, talk to someone. These are important. These are more important than you think. Um, and so that would be my advice that I would give my, you know, myself back in, in 96. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I also see uh, there's like a huge trend um, in the CTO world to become more of like CPTO and understand better what the environment is and also talk to people more. <laughs> it's like yes. not only your engineering team. Um, uh, yeah. Um, thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, it was a great discussion. Um, yeah, Toby, thank you so much for, soon. for having me. Um, have yeah. a great day. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Toby. Bye. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Arcelist podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. Alphalist is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say on Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.